financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is February 1st, 2022, and as always, I'm on with my partner, Dominic Tavella. Good evening, Dominic. How are you? Good evening, Mike. Uh, I'm still here in uh, warm Florida, and you're still there in cold, cold, cold New York. Freezing, 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 snow. It's all good. It's February. You live on Long Island. This is what you get in February. Um, and, and I'm on my way back for, for full disclosure, so I'll, I'll be experiencing some of that firsthand very shortly. Yes, you will. And, and just where you live... You got way more snow than where I got in Nassau County. You're in. Is that motivation for me not to come back, Mike, (laughs) or motivation to get back sooner? Which you do, you whatever whatever works. I'm going to love you one way or the other. Appreciate Um, it. You're welcome. So look, tomorrow in honor of Groundhog Day, um, I'm happy to say that the last three days actually have been different than the first month of the year. And yeah. Last so so we'll start been. there, right, Mike? Uh, January's done, and we thought we today uh, tonight we would do kind of a recoup of what happened uh, so far this year, what happened for the month of January, and I think uh, at your suggestion, maybe the process of what goes into making the secret sauce uh, here at Labenthal. But let's start with what happened uh, last month, uh, the month of January. Um, not good, right, Mike? No. Not no, good. Not good. Um, again, this is uh, uh, this is through the end of last uh, Friday, but the numbers are slightly better because Monday technically was the last day of the month. But we had the S and P as of last Friday down about what seven percent. Yep. Uh, the Nasdaq down twelve. The Russell down twelve. Um, the Dow a little bit better, um, uh, and all those numbers are slightly better for the month. But it's been a rough month. It's been a, 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 a one of the worst months we've seen in a, and certainly January's that we've seen in a very long time. And let's not forget, Dom. It's also one of those one of those times in the market where nothing worked. The bond market wasn't wasn't a safe haven either. Bond market had its own bumps in a row. The muni market, especially, we talked about it last week with Rob Morgan. The, the muni market was. Ugly in January. Ugly. Uh, generally speaking, bonds were down two, two and a half percent. And bonds are supposed to be the safe haven, right, Mike, where you allocate part of your portfolio into the fixed income side, bonds, part of your portfolio in stocks. And theoretically, the bond portion of the, support of the portfolio is supposed to give you a buffer, some protection during these very volatile times. It did very little of that last month. Very little. Yeah. And I actually spoke to a client yesterday and I explained to her how the bond market has not really been been behaving or accounts been beat up a little bit. And I said to her, I said, you, you want to go into the stock market? I said, I don't think you should. I think it'll recover. Do you want to go in the stock market? And she said, no. Thank you for explaining to me what what's happening. But I do not want any of the risk associated with the stock market. So again, just put it in perspective, let's be clear 
the bond market, the muni market did not go down 12%. It did not go down 7%. So when we say it's ugly, it's ugly compared to what the bond market normally does, but it wasn't stock market ugly. And that's the point. And, and the other extreme, Mike, is we talk about the S&P, the, again, as of last Friday, being down about 7% and NASDAQ 12. But if you own these aggressive small cap growth stocks, um, basically last year's winners, right, super winners, um, these are companies that earnings and growth is really being projected out in the future. Um, those companies have just been demolished. That's right. a, probably a polite word, right? Uh, some of those stocks are down 30, 40, 60, 80% from their old time highs. So depending how much risk you took, bonds on one end of the spectrum, aggressive, aggressive growth stocks on the other end, you could have had a really uh, ugly month or an extraordinarily ugly month. It's It just hasn't been a pretty month. Right. And just, you know, add a little background into why that happens. You know why? Why do small caps do a lot worse? And we'll get we could get into it. And on the other side of this is because if interest rates go up, the cost of them doing business gets a little expensive because they have to re- rely on borrowed money and investor money in order to get to be a mid cap or a large cap. So that is why small caps get especially beat up because in a rising interest rate environment, the cost of them doing business, Dominic, just gets more expensive. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the cause and effect in a second, but I think we'll close this segment by saying we were fortunate that our portfolios didn't behave quite as bad. And we're going to go into the secret sauce, why not? And I think more important, what we see going forward. All right. So on that note, we will be right back right after this quick break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-G-A-X, Le Tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. 
After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live... Join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella, my partner. And as we said on the open... Don, we don't have a guest this evening. It's just going to be me and you talking about the market, talking about asset allocation. And I think you hit on something really important just before we went to the break, and that is the cause and effect of, of, of everything that involves the market. And the market has been really hyperventilating about rising interest rates. So the question becomes why? Why are they worried about higher interest rates? Well, one of the obvious answers is, well, if you could – get money risk-free at a certain interest rate that's appealing to you, well, then you don't have to take the risk of the stock market, right? So I think that's the more obvious textbook, 10,000 feet in the air view that the media is going to give you. Well, you can now invest your money risk-free. Why do you have to take the risk of the stock market? But the other cause and effect, as we touched upon, is interest rates just make everything, I'm sorry, rising interest rates, just make everything more expensive. And, 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 and the cause of the higher interest rates, Mike, of course, is inflation. So right. inflation is, uh, is really the, the vehicle that just sucks money out of people's pocket, right? And I'm not about inflation is fine, but when we start to get to the kind of numbers that we're talking about right now, that just literally means that your gas, when you gas up your car, costs more. You need to heat your house costs more, food on the table costs more, everything costs more. So if everything costs more, you literally don't have free money to do other things, spend it in the economy, improve your house, um, vacation, right? Um, And so the Federal Reserve in an effort to dampen down inflation wants to tap the brakes in the economy. They do that by exactly what you said, Mike, raising interest rates, making things a little bit more expensive. The scary part is that this is more art than science. And there's a real fear that how, where, and when the Federal Reserve does this, um, they could push the economy into a recession. And clearly, stocks don't like recessions. No, they do not. And, and you know, you mentioned art versus science. You know, I remember when Alan Greenspan was the Federal Reserve chief and he would get criticized, Dominic, because he talked in this word salad. And he talked like a technocrat and he didn't say anything. And he was always criticized about that. And then Ben Vernacki came along and he basically spoke in plain English and he basically telegraphed what the Fed was going to do. And then Janet Yellen followed in his footsteps and now and now Chairman Powell is following in her footsteps, and they get criticized for that. Because last week, when when Chairman Powell was speaking, every word that he said was 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 pulled apart, and 
you know, and, and just trying to dissect, well, are they going to raise three times? Are they going to raise five times? Will it be 25 basis points? Will it be 50 basis points? And it's like everything else in life. The, the time you spend worrying about a problem is always worse potentially than the actual problem. Well, and, and Mike, uh, again, I hate to divulge this to our, our viewers, but a lot of literally every word that came out of his mouth was being analyzed by a computer or an algorithm. And that algorithm would determine whether that's a positive comment or a negative comment. And you literally could watch the S&P trading up or down based on literally the words that were coming out of his mouth. Um, we, we are not so fortunate uh, maybe that's sarcasm on my part to have algorithm computers that read. Um, so we rely very, very much on common sense. Um, and I think it's, it's a great spot for us to start talking about how do we make the secret sauce? How does that come up? How do we allocate our portfolios? Um, and frankly, with a lot of pride, they've done a lot better than the market so far this year. Um, but how do we do that? So maybe that's a good place for us to, to pick up the ball and, and carry it a little bit. Sure, and 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 for me, for me, Dominic, I think it really it it boils down to you know knowing who our clients are, right? Knowing what their objectives are, knowing knowing where the money came from, knowing when we may have to give it back to them, n- knowing their family history, knowing if they have any children with special needs. I mean, we could go, I could go on and on and on about all the things that we have to find out. And, and I, I, another example came into my office today for a review. He's a young man. Fortunately, he lost his father at an early age. He inherited his dad's IRA. And he said to me seven years ago, whatever you do, don't lose me any money. Because this is money I got from my dad. This is his memory. So I've been managing that money all this time just like that. So today, he came in. And he's 33 years old, and most 33-year-olds would want to be aggressive. And I said, look, I managed the money how you wanted us to. So you're only down 4% this year, but last year when the market was ripping, you made 5.5%. He said to me, that's fantastic because, because you didn't lose me any money now, and that's what I want you to do, and whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So I did have a lot of trepidation saying to me only up five and a half percent. And he said, that's fantastic. Yeah, every every I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because I think sometimes that gets missed by a lot of people in our business that, you know, we have this sense of we need to make people as much money as possible. Right. And, and it's sort of kind of what it's beat into our skull. But the reality is we need to make people as much money as possible and they can still sleep at night. And wherever that poor, that risk level, that risk tolerance, that volatility tolerance is, is where we'll design the portfolio for that client, right? So it could be a client looking to, to hit it out of the park and we'll have a, a portfolio that'll have more volatility. And again, we'll get into what that means in a second. And a client who says, no, 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 I just want a reasonable rate of return over a reasonable period of time, then we can cut the volatility down. There'll always be days like today, like this year, where the markets are down, we're down. But the, the argument here is we don't want to really put the client, the client money at risk where we're betting on some hot stock or where uh, a hot commodity or whatever is sexy today, and then potentially ru- lose their principal. So volatility, yes. Money at risk, lose their principal. We tr- really try to minimize that exposure. And, and I think that came through loud and clear 
in in March of 2020, where you and I, between the two of us, had seven seven clients who said, "Just get me out." And we have thousands of clients, thousands, and, and we had seven who said, "I just can't take it anymore." And and what that meant to me is that we 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 got the risk allocation and the time horizon, and we asked the right questions for our clients that we had them allocated properly, that they they decided to hang in there because although the market was getting killed, if their risk tolerance didn't dictate that, they were not getting killed, right? And, 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 and just to go back to that time period, just when the market was down 38% at one point, our most aggressive model, which is obviously the aggressive growth model, Dominic, was down about 20%. So, you know, that's a testament to raising cash and not being afraid to pull the trigger and doing what our mandate was, and that is first to do no harm and then to try to make them some money. Exactly right, Mike. So, so let's start with this hypothetical, and you hear it all the time, you read it in, in the newspaper all the time or online, the typical 60-40 portfolio. And in English, a 60-40 portfolio means roughly 60% of your money is in the stock market and 60% of your money is in the bond market, right? So every major firm on, on the street has something that looks like this. And we would consider that our income and growth or growth and income model, depending on, on the risk level. Um, but I guess the, the million-dollar question is, okay, 60% in the stock market, where? in the stock market and 40% in the bond market, where in the bond market? In the stock side, are we talking about large cap stocks, mid cap stocks, small cap stocks, international, right? Emerging markets, um, bonds come in just about every flavor you can think of. So where we place these eggs uh, in our portfolio to safe keep them and hopefully make us some money makes all the difference in the world. Right. And, and it seems easy now in hindsight, but in March and April of 2020, we underweighted real estate, we underweighted travel, we underweighted airlines, we, we, we underweighted um, consumer um, discretionary, and we overweighted technology, we overweighted healthcare, we overweighted consumer staples, because you know, we were in a lockdown. So wh- why would we buy real estate? And why would we buy hotels? And why why would we buy airlines? Casinos, cruise ships. Right, cruise ships. Right, casinos. So you're right. It, it's not so much being in the stock market as where in the stock market are you? So the way I describe it to my clients is think about um, you're getting a weather report. Mm-hmm. Right. And in our world, that's called the leading economic indicators. These are literally statistical data on what's going on in our economy. Um, They're little hints about what's going on with employment, unemployment, corporate earnings, GDP growth, all these little data points that give us the weather report. And clearly, if the weather report is clear, sunshine, you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. You can own certain kinds of sectors. But if the weather report says uh, we might have 
oh God, two feet of snow, Mike. <laughs> um, maybe, here's a shocker, maybe you need to prepare for that snowstorm, mm-hmm. right? And I think that starting there, and we're going to elaborate on it, I think that's really how we try every day to prepare uh, for what the weather report looks like. Right. And and the nuance of that, Dominic, is these indicators, you know, they're never in real time, right? I mean, they're, they're a, yes, a lot of them are more current than others, but they're all lagging because they're all gauging what's already happened and and what and what the forecast is that's the weather report right the forecast is based on where these indicators are heading this is where we think is next and going back to jerome powell no offense to you or to me he's a lot smarter than we are um he was calling inflation um, what, um transitory remember transitory. that word <laughs> remember transitory that word? Transitory. Yeah, we just went flying out of my head. It's calling it transitory, and you and I were going, "Really? We don't? How is that transitory?" So even some of the smartest people in the room get it wrong sometimes when they have all this data right in front of them. Down. So I want to come back to this weather report analogy that we're using, and we're going to use it all night long. But how many times have we watched the weather man or woman, and they're predicting no snow at all? No, we might get a dusting. Um, and of course, we end up with two feet or vice versa. Oh, this is going to be the worst snowstorm in history. And you look <laughs> up the next day, you're like, what happened? Because I, I, nothing happened, right? right? So it is forecasting, right? It is forecasting. But uh, to our credit, um, literally the end of last year, it became pretty clear the message that uh, we were getting from the Fed and the message we were getting from the experts that we listened to. And we've had many of them as guests on our show right here, Mike. The message we were getting is, hey, this inflation thing may not be quite as transitory mm-hmm. as we were being led to believe. Um, the Federal Reserve might be more aggressive in raising interest rates uh, much more so than we were originally led to believe. And like a good weather report, um, it's our job to prepare for it. And in fact, we did. Right. right. I'm, and I'm, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned um, interest rates and, in, and raising interest rates. Yes, I was looking at my cheat sheet before the show. And Dominic, on January 28th of 2019, which is approximately a month before we knew we were on a full-on pandemic, the 10-year Treasury was 2.75. Now, bear in mind that the Federal Reserve still had not raised, started raising interest rates in January of 2019, and they were 2.85 then. And they did get down to around 1.2. Um, now, you know, last year at this time, they were about 1.5. Now they're at 1.75. And experts are hyperventilating that they're going to go to two. And they were 2.75 two years ago, and they hadn't started raising interest rates then. So sometimes I feel like we have to hyperventilate or, or, or complain about something because, because what else are we going to talk about in the market if there isn't something to worry about? Well, we, 
I guess technically we call that headline risk, right, <laughs> Mike? There's yeah. a headline that comes across our TV every morning. But in our world, uh, privately, it's noise, right? It's noise. And, you know, there's motives why some experts get on TV and talk about this or talk about that. They might have their own specific agenda of why they want to own a specific sector of the market or a specific stock even, uh, or not own it in case where they want to short it, right? But the key is there's lots of noise out there. And we're going to come back to our weather report analogy. And it's our job to kind of use a little common sense Use our experts that we talk to, uh, consult with, uh, do podcasts with, and say, hey, how much of this stuff is kind of real? Uh, how much of this stuff is really something we need to worry about? And how much of this stuff is, uh, hey, uh, buckle down, shut the doors, uh, it's going to be a bad storm. And literally the beginning of this year, we assumed at the very least we'd have some bad weather right? That there'd be some uh, noise regarding how aggressive the Federal Reserve was going to be in raising interest rates. Um, if they stopped at two, I think everybody would be thrilled. But there are concerns, and we've had some of our own experts talk about four and five rate increases. Um, so we battled, batted down the hatches a little bit. We took some money out of the market. Our first trade to do a liquidation was January 4th. Mm -hmm. And we've been incrementally liquidating pretty much uh, the whole month of January mm -hmm. and taking money out of the market uh, and put it in cash and money market, hoping to protect this downward slide of the portfolio, right? Watching the weather and making adjustments as we go. So now we're at the point, I don't think we're quite at an inflection point yet, but now we're at the point where a lot of those experts expected the S&P to be down between 15 and 20%, and 20% is what they consider a bear market. So now we got to about, what did we say before? We got to about seven, you know, maybe- And, and the S&P about 10 from its all-time right. high. Right, in, right, into day or, you know, from the all-time high around 10, but it's not it's not 20, and now we're getting a little bit of a rebound, right? So now so now the, 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 the art and not the science is, well, are they wrong? Is it going to be 20? Do we go back in head first? Do we put all our chips in the middle of the table? So that's where the, the, the art comes in, Dom, as we see the little bit of a relief rally now. Yeah, and, and Mike, uh, we, we've said this forever. Uh, we'll always make a mistake and be a little bit too conservative, then make a mistake and be a little bit too aggressive. Um, but uh, it's not unusual in the middle of a, a correction to get a bounce, um, so that's kind of normal. It's kind of expected. It's called oversold. Uh, and people will come in and buy these uh, stocks or sectors because the, they've gone down too far too fast. But it's also not unusual to bounce up and then come right back down again and retest the lows. So I don't think it'd be prudent for us to say, oh, it's all clear. The storm is gone and throw everybody's money in the market in one day. I don't think that's prudent. We've never done it. We never will. Um, but at some point, and I, I said it out loud, I, can't, I was not rehearsed, but I said it on my last interview with Maria Bartiromo, at some point you have to hold your nose and just jump in a little bit 
And the art is to how to very delicately start to buy some things that are on sale that have been discounted um, and ride this roller coaster till we get to a all clear sign. Yeah, the, sar- the sarcastic traders um, call what you just said that relief rally a, a dead blank bounce. I don't want to fill in the blanks. How do we get the folks at PETA mad at me? But um, you can figure it out. But um, on that note, Don, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about what a recession means and how we uh, manage money through that. Got it. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm -mm. Less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. For your cash, ask your advisor Mm -hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Latax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella. Um... Don, let's talk about recessions for a little bit. Um, did you know, by the way, that there was actually a recession in 2020? It lasts like a hot second, but technically we fell into a recession at some point in 2020. So if I, I remember my economics 101 correctly, a recession is defined by two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Negative um, and GDP. so obviously because of right. what happened, we had two. The first quarter... Um, it kind of caught enough of the first quarter that it 
came in negative. The second quarter came in negative. By the third quarter, we actually had positive growth in the economy and we came out of it. Probably one of the shortest recessions that I can remember. Um, I don't know if it's the shortest in history, but it's certainly one of the ones I, shortest ones I can remember. Right? Well, well, and here's the thing about a recession, Dom. You know, you, 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 you don't know that you've been in a recession for six months or three months until, until three or six months later. Right, because that's a number that's that's trailing. So, so, and then, and then we go, oh my God, we're in a recession. So then we wait for that third quarter to find out, are we still in a recession? Right. So, recessions are also tricky to kind of navigate through because, like I said, you may not even know you're managing money in one until (laughs) until three months later. Um, and I think even more important, Mike, you don't know how long it's going to last. Right. Right. As we just said, this is probably one of the shortest ones in history. But you and I, having been in the business since the early 80s, we've lived through a couple of them that lasted years. Right. And back to our weather report analogy, you don't want to wear your bathing suit in the middle of the winter, in the middle of your snowstorm. And you don't want to wear your parka and your galoshes and your goggles on a beach in the middle of the summer, right? So when we see these leading economic indicators start to roll over and go lower, which means there's a risk out there that economic activity is going to slow down or God forbid actually go negative, right? That's the recession. Hey, we need to adjust the portfolio to match the weather report. We need to change our outfit, how this portfolio is allocated to what we think the weather is going to look like the next three, six, and 12 months. And you're right. But here's the other part of it, which, again, I love what you said earlier, more art than science. We have to not, we don't, we have to adjust for the weather globally, but we also have to adjust for the weather individually. And what I mean by that is if I have a client, that is on a four or 5% withdrawal rate, meaning I'm sending that client a check every month, or you're sending that client a check every month, and we're in a downward market, and the market is down 10 or 15%, and we're withdrawing money at a rate of 5%, but Dom, that could be a disaster. That could take literally years to make back. And, And again, you and I take great pride in, you know, we've, and I probably shouldn't say this on a, re, on, a, on a recorded podcast, but we don't have clients run out of money, right? We've been fortunate, um, uh, meaning we try to be very disciplined about those withdrawals, Mike, because they can be extraordinarily dangerous um, during downward cycles. Yeah. And part of being uh, careful is that, you know, last year was a very good year in our client portfolios. And the year before that, um, uh, even in the midst of that COVID crisis, every one of our client portfolios was positive, right? We know a significant part of the market was not, but every one of our portfolios was positive. And 19, 2019 was a positive year. So sometimes clients get used to this idea, oh, well, we always make money. Mm-hmm. And we always don't, <laughs> right? The markets don't end every single year positive. And so I call it like a, like a squirrel that you're squirreling away some of your nuts for the winter when you can't find them. We have to make sure that these withdrawals that come out of the portfolios 
a very disciplined, very systematic, and don't overtax the portfolio. Because there will be a day, a, a month, a year, uh, we've seen horrible times after 9-11, after the financial crisis in 08, where it took us a long time to get it back to break even. Right, Mike? Yeah, and that's where, that's where you know, getting back to what we said in the open about asset allocation, knowing, do I need this client in, my, in our muni model? Do I need this client in our ultra income model? In the income model, do, do, do we need to... Do we need to hire one of our sub-advisors and get them into purely stock dividend model? So, so that's our job to figure out. And, and the other part, Dom, is to have the tough conversation where if we have a client who, who has, I don't know, $100,000 with us and wants us to send them $700 a month, which is you know about a 9% withdrawal rate, well, are we really, are you, is that what you really want to do? And, and so we have to explain to them that's going to be a lot of money to withdraw. It could be devastating in a down market. So also, you know, as you said, it's been a party now, but 2018 market got slammed between Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas and, and markets finished down. So yeah. That's also- the last, last year, Mike, that we, the last uh, recent year that we had a negative year in the client portfolios. And that's kind of a long time. Clients forget sometimes that we have bad years, right? Our responsibility during these bad years is try to keep the losses to a minimum. But keeping losses to zero is is impossible if we're investing in these markets. Could be the bond market, as we said, even they have negative periods. And certainly different sectors of the stock market will behave differently, right? So I'm glad you said that. Because that's another good example. And again, I know we say every week these things are not scripted. We're literally having a conversation. So how many times a week, a year, a month, do you get a call? I'm buying a house in six months. The bank is not paying anything. What could you do with that money, right? I know what your answer is, the same answer that I give them. My answer is nothing. Nothing. Keep it in the bank. I don't want to put it at risk because everything we do, Dom, puts it at risk. And I know, the, speaking for you, we don't want that money if we know we have a six-month time horizon. Yeah, look, Mike, uh, and you, know, you and I speak about this every day, but it's important for us to get this message to our, our clients. You know, we're following these leading economic indicators, right? And, and again, back to our weather report analogy, um, I can look at the weather report and know uh, no, as best I can educated guess what the next seven days are going to look like, 10 days are going to look like. And I can even take it further out and go, ah, generally speaking, the winter is going to be cold. And generally speaking, the summer is going to be warm or hot even, right? Um, but no one's got a crystal ball. No one can tell you in a relatively short period of time, three months, six months, what's going to happen with these markets. We're, we're dealing right now with an event with Russia possibly invading Ukraine that will be an upheaval to these markets if it actually happened. How can we possibly control all these outside events? And if the client needs the money in the short run, it would be a disservice for us to take that money um, and try to make something of it when they might need it three, six, even 12 months down the road, I think it's way too short to, to try to put together a portfolio and manage it uh, for a, obviously a positive return. Too many variables. And to, your, and to your point, even if we knew 
that the next 12 months are going to be terrific and there was going to be nothing to worry about. We still wouldn't take it because, because like you said, you know, there's always that black swan could come along and Ukraine and Russia could invade Ukraine. And now, you know, we have this short term volatility, which could be really unspeakable. Look, Mike, um, and maybe this is a good time to flip the switch a little bit. You know, we got very positive uh, uh, employment numbers this week, unemployment at an all time low number of jobs that are open, 11, almost 11 million jobs that are open, waiting for somebody to take that job. Wage growth is positive. Corporate earnings so far this year have been terrific, right? Um, so back to these are the leading economic indicators. These are things that we're looking at. And you're going to go just on the surface of that information, you're going to go, we're going to have a good year this year in the markets. The economy is, is on a good glide path. It's going to continue growing. People are going to have jobs. They're going to make money. They're going to spend money. We'll have a good year in the markets. And then an event happens around the world that we couldn't possibly have uh, foreseen. Foresee. Couldn't possibly. Look, you know, we, we, you, you just used the most recent example, but let's face it, a worldwide global pandemic was on nobody's bingo card. <laughs> Nobody's. Uh, well, Mike, uh, and, and I, love, I'm, I was doing this with a little humor. Um, one of our, our more famous interviews, uh, uh, I was doing an interview, and we talked about that we had some concerns about this uh, virus situation in China. That was January of 2020. Some concerns, Mike. Wow. Are you kidding? Never in my wildest dreams. Uh, would I, I have imagined that it could have possibly turned out into uh, what it turned out to be, right? Yeah. So we were fortunate. We did have some concerns. We were raising a little cash in the portfolio. We were preparing for the worst. Um, and, as, and the numbers you rattled off, um, our most aggressive portfolios were down less than half of what the major indices were, but the conservative portfolios were down way, way, way less than the markets. And yet, as much as we kind of saw something out there that we didn't like, we had no clue it was going to turn into this. None. No. Look, the, 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 leading, the leading indicator for me was probably exactly two years ago to the day almost. I was actually in New York City with your son, Michael at Goldman Sachs World Headquarters for a research meeting. I took the Long Island Railroad, went, took, the, took the, I don't know, the E-train downtown, right? And Goldman Sachs comes in and says, thank you to, to you for coming today. It was like 50 people in a room. We have grounded all non-essential personnel as a result of this virus. And this meeting is going to be virtual. I remember saying to your son, so you, you and I, two putzes, have taken the, the railroad and the E-train to come here, but Goldman Sachs doesn't want to get anyone infected. And I remember saying to you, this is way bigger than we think it is if Goldman Sachs is not letting their employees fly around the country. And so, so I, this is a great uh, moment to kind of switch gears again a little bit. So think about, you know, if you can't get your employees on a plane to fly around the country, do you want to own the airlines? Of course not. Do you want to own hotels? If they shut down Vegas, do you want to own any of the casinos? 
Do you want to own any of the cruise ship lines? Do you want to own any of the restaurants, the publicly traded restaurants? Um, and go on and on, right? So when people go, how did you know? And we come back to this idea of common sense. Yeah. Right? It's amazing how often just common sense, you can't make the, every decision correct every time, but just using a little common sense, you can make a lot of good decisions. Right. Right. And, and, and now here we are two years later, hopefully, you know, the Omicron variant is dying down. Hopefully there's not another one right behind it. And, and if it is, God forbid, it's even weaker than this one. So now you hear companies like, you know, Peloton and Zoom, um, you know, struggling and, and, and not and not doing so well. And again, if Dom, that's that's a little common sense. But I also think the pendulum swings too far because you still have to exercise, right? There's still a large swath of people who don't like going to the gym. They're still going to exercise, right? I did three Zoom calls today in addition to this podcast with you. It just is a more efficient way to communicate than people getting in their cars or getting on their planes. So, yes, I think some of these stay-at-home stocks are going to suffer a little bit, but they're not going completely out of style. And again, it's our job not to let the pendulum swing too far to the left or to the right. Um, see if we can carve out the noise. Right. Right. And, and be a little bit more sound in our thinking, um, but also understand, and again, you and I have been in the business for over 30 years, that the pendulum does swing too far. When things are positive, it just seems like the party is going to go on forever. And sometimes it's our responsibility to go, ah, it might go on forever, but historically that's not what happens, right? And we've talked about it. We'll, we'll liquidate some positions. We'll trim some profits. And clients will go, what are you doing? You're selling. Things are great. Why would you sell? Um, and then like now, uh, when things look pretty ugly, right? Things have, have not been, uh, it hasn't been a great start. Um, we'll do a little nibbling. We'll do a little buying, right? And people are like, what are, you, what are you buying for? It looks like the world is coming to an end. What are you buying for? And you're like, you sell high and buy low. What a concept, right? Right. Never, never betting the portfolio, but nibbling, right? Either trimming some profits at the top or what you think is going to be the top and maybe putting some money to work uh, at the bottom or what you think is the bottom and trying to be very disciplined about our approach. Right. And, and this is not the first time that we've experienced rising interest rates, right? It's not, it's not, it's not the first time the stock market has experienced rising, rising interest rates. You would think it was based on all the attention it's getting, but markets are pretty resilient and, 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 and as the saying goes, these interest rates eventually, these hikes get baked in the cake. Don, whether they're three or four or five hikes, they get baked in the cake. And, and let's face it, the reason they're, rising, they're raising interest rates is because the economy is good. And they try to slow it down and tap on the brakes. So, so even if interest rates are going up, it's not a long-term disaster. It's not a fiasco. They're raising interest rates because the economy is decent. And, and inflation's a little bit higher than they, they want it to be. Right? Absolutely. Right. As a byproduct. The economy wasn't doing well. Inflation would not be 
necessarily a problem. Right. right. Um, so I, I would argue, Mike, that um, if we could got to about 2% on the 10-year treasury, um, the markets would, would be thrilled to death and you'd see these markets skyrocket. What they don't know is the unknown. Right. Right. That's what scares the market. It, I, I've heard many of money managers tell me, tell me, are we in a recession? I know how to manage money in a recession, meaning what sectors, what part of the market I want to own. If the economy is growing at an accelerated rate, I can manage money in an, an aggressive growth economy. Just tell me what the rules of the game are. I know how to play the game. Right. But right now we're dealing with the great unknown. What are the rules going to be six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months from now? How hard is the Federal Reserve going to tap the brakes on economic growth? How much is the Federal Reserve going to raise interest rates? How fast are they going to raise interest rates? It's all these unknowns that has the volatility right now in the markets. Stock market hates unknowns, right? Hates unknowns. Hates unknowns. But 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 just getting back to inflation for a minute, um, what the stock market does know is why we have inflation, right? We have inflation because we have supply chain shortages. We have supply chain shortages because we have the pandemic and, and we just can't get product, right? Whether it's, whether it's lumber or whether it's com- components, finished products, whatever it is, we can't, there's just not enough of them. So the, the expectation is that that should work its way out towards the middle of the year. But the problem, Dominic, is a year ago when we had this conversation, we were told by our experts that the supply chain problem would be over by now. And guess what? They got it wrong. They got it wrong. And to our credit, Mike, and we managed the portfolios this way, we kept asking, how can this be transitory when a big input cost to inflation is labor, the cost of labor? Wages aren't going down anytime soon. Big cost input is energy. Price of energy is not going down anytime soon. And yes, supply chain and not being able to produce certain products until you can produce more cars, until you can produce more washing machines or computers or computer chips. Yes, eventually that unclogs itself. The ports in Los Angeles will open up and we'll have more product and costs will come down. But again, will it take six months, 12 months, 24 months for that to happen? And how hard will the Federal Reserve have to tap the brakes to make that happen? That's the big unknown. It is. It is. It is the big unknown. And, and it dovetails into a midterm election. And, it, and it, it, it dovetails into, will there be another variant? Will the Asian countries which have been much more reticent to open up their economies and, and open up factories, will they get back up and running? So, so those, you're right, those are the, the unknowns. And, and for God's sakes, you know, last week I'm out of my own business and I read about a stealth variant. Like, no, I mean, no I, think they're just, I think just making up names now to, to torture us, right? <laughs> Two years, now we have to deal with a stealth. They're all stealth. No one can see any of these things. But that's the new name. So, look, uh, Mike, I don't think you and I have been in the industry for as many years as we have when there wasn't some headline oh. that, that frightened investors, frightened the markets, frightened us. 
The question is, what do we do about it, right? Um, so we only have a few minutes left. I want to make sure people understand there is a method to the madness, right? So we talked about energy. We think energy prices will be high uh, for the foreseeable future. So we have an energy exposure in all our client portfolios, right? Common sense. We have a healthcare exposure in our portfolio. Mike, why would we have healthcare in our portfolio? I think because we have a pandemic, I'm just guessing. And, and people need healthcare. Right. Right. Of course. People don't stop having health issues right. just because there's a pandemic. Right. Uh, Mike, I know one of your favorites, dividend paying stocks. Why would we have dividend paying stocks in our portfolio? Well, because people need income. They need income. What a shocker. <laughs> Common sense. Common sense. Right. Um, I could rattle off a few more. But the key is that there are certain things, just like two years ago, we wouldn't want to own the real estate, everything you mentioned, Mike. There are certain things today we don't want to own. And we talked about these high uh, growth uh, stocks that have gotten wrecked. We don't own any of that in our portfolios, right? We used to, we don't own any of it, right? right. Got rid of it all. Um, but we've allocated the portfolio to sectors like dividend paying stocks. There are 80 stocks in the S&P that pay more than 3%. Right. If you want to sit and wait for a while to see what happens to the economy, collecting a 3% dividend is not a bad idea, right, Mike? No. Not a bad idea. Um, so there are sectors of the economy that actually do well in this kind of environment. It, it's sectors of the bond market that actually do better in this kind of environment. And it's our responsibility to find those. And, and here's the crazy thing, Dom. I just want to put a bow on, on everything you said. You said there's always something to worry about. And you're right. Because when there's actually nothing to worry about, what do we worry about? That the VIX, the volatility index is too low because there's nothing to worry about. So we're going to worry about the fact we have nothing to worry about. Look, uh, uh, and occasionally I'm one myself, so I got to be careful what I say, but the talking heads on TV um, are looking to make headlines, right? Um, and so, uh, and, and, you know, uh, we brought it up in this morning's call with our advisors. There's two, three very, very well-known Wall Street analysts that are talking about a 20% correction. Mm -hmm. Still. Mm -hmm. And there are an equal number of very, very well-known Wall Street analysts that are talking that it's all done from here and it's only, it's straight up the rest of the right. year, right? The answer's somewhere in between. Who do you believe? I believe it's somewhere in between. That's what I believe. Yeah, that pendulum that you mentioned, Mike, swung all the way one way, swung all the way the other. It eventually settled somewhere in the middle. I think we're going to be just fine. Uh, boring as mud is good, Mike. Dominic, we always, is good. we always tell our guests that the spots they we, we book them for go quickly. And um, we are out of time. It was just me and you, and we're out of time. And we got to go because Andrews, we got we, we got to hit our break. But um, this was fun tonight, Dom. It was. It was a nice recap for the year. We'll hopefully do it again going forward. I do think we end the year higher than where we are today. I don't think that's a stretch. But the volatility is going to be here for a little while. Hang in there. We'll be okay. Have a good night, everybody. Stay good safe. Good night, everybody. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.